Open up the book of Exodus, beginning tonight at chapter 15. As we go, we want to be reminded of what's going on, at least at this section, at this turning point in the book of Exodus. You'll remember that the journey for the children of Israel, once God opened the door and let them leave Egypt, the journey was an 11-day journey. 11 days is all it would take them if they took the more common roads to get to the promised land. But you see, God orchestrated their journey because while the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, God needed to work Egypt out of the children of Israel. And oftentimes for you and I, in our walk with the Lord, sometimes we look, there are times I look over to the past and I think I can point to 17 wasted years. But those 17 years are only wasted if at the end or the end result of those 17 years wasn't me getting where I needed to be with the Lord. For the children of Israel, God took one year, not 11 days. And in that one year journey, he's going to have seven stops that he's going to take them to. Seven lessons that he's going to teach them at each of the places where they stop. You remember the first place they went was Sukkoth. Sukkoth means tent town. And the Lord took them to a tent town because God's people pretty much for, for the entirety of their relationship with him are looking for a city that has foundations. But that city that has foundations, folks, isn't this Israel or this Jerusalem. That is the new Jerusalem. This Jerusalem has been destroyed some 17 times. It has been plowed under. It's been at war almost its entire history. God was teaching them in Tent Town, if you're looking for satisfaction or satiation here in something, you're going to be disappointed. You're only visiting this place. We're just passing through. We're just passing through. Folks, we're looking for something else. We want to be those kind of people who are heavenly minded. There's no such thing as being too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That doesn't exist because truly, if you are heavenly minded, if you're looking for your God and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you're eagerly awaiting, as Paul wrote, the appearance, the glorious appearance of our Lord, If you're eagerly awaiting that moment when you'll see him face to face, that changes how I live today, doesn't it? It does. I want to be anchored, as Paul would write, in the heavenly places. My focus there, not here. And that's the lesson of Sukkoth. Well, after they left Sukkoth, they came to Etham. Etham means with them. And it was there in Etham, right there on the brink of the, of the wilderness, that God showed them the, the pillar of fire in the cloud. Saying, I'm with you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to direct you. I'm going to show you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you all the way through. He's showing the children of Israel, right, even on the brink. Even, think about it. I mean, they grew up as slaves, having everything that they needed. And now God was taking them where they had nothing. They had to count, you you have to understand, they had to count upon the Lord for everything they needed every day. How long do you think you can wander in the desert without water? Not very long. 
How long can you wander through the desert without food? How long can you wander through the desert without some type of a covering? How long can you wander in that desert without God's presence? You know what God was showing them? God was showing them that they needed Him for everything. That God was everything that they needed. And we need to understand that too. He's everything we need for whatever situation it is. Sometimes we look at something and we think, oh Lord, I, I need a new job. Or oh Lord, I need this or that or the other. But the reality is, Lord, all I need is more of you. Not to trust my circumstances, not to trust my own strength to make my situation better, but rather to lean on you. God, guide me. God, direct me. Folks, it's so simple. It's so simple that we miss it so often. If we will understand what God's Word teaches, and as we rise in the morning, be looking for our daily bread, that day, Lord, feed me this day. God, guide me, direct me this day. And then we trust the Lord's going to guide us through that day. But how often do we get up and forget that the Lord's there? How many times did the children of Israel wake up after Etham and forget that the cloud was over or the pillar of fire. I mean, how, how often can you look at God's presence before you just get used to seeing God's presence all the time? You start to forget. You start to, to grow complacent. And so at Etham, God wants to show us He's everything we need and He's always present. Then He took him to a third place, Pi-Hi-Hi-Roth. Pi-Hi-Hi-Roth was a, a mountain. On the other side of Pihahiroth was Migdol. You remember God brought them between two mountains with the Red Sea at their back. He brought them to that place between a rock and a hard place. They were between a rock and a hard place, back up against the Red Sea, the Egyptians bearing down upon them. And why? Why did God take them there? So that He might show Himself mighty to them. You ever wonder why you're between a rock and a hard place? While you're caught there at that place where you can't seem to find any way out, you're looking around and, and here's all these things happening, but the reality is sometimes God is using you to show Himself mighty to your neighbor, to the person across the street. Sometimes the trouble that we face, the hard times that we go through, it's not punishment, it's not God's hatred toward us, but it's God knowing Knowing that we're strong enough, right? What did he tell us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13? No temptation has overcome you such, except such as is common to man. But with that temptation, what does God promise to give us? A way of escape. Why? That we may be able to bear it. That we'll bear it. And so as the children of Israel there, did God have a plan to get them through? Sure he did. He delivered them, right? He delivered them, got them to the other side, but God himself said, I'm showing myself to the Egyptians by what they were going through. Sometimes in our lives, the things we go through is not about us. Sometimes the trials we face is not about us. It's about the people around us that God is touching through our story. And so we want to be able to say in those circumstances, don't we, God, make me a good witness. Help me be a good example. I don't want to be a complainer like the children of Israel. I want to recognize when I find myself between a rock and a hard place, sometimes, sometimes God's just showing my neighbor how strong he is. 
And he can see that in how God provides for me. There was a time, I, I shared one story last week, but there was a time Kathy and I were going through real difficult financial times. Uh, I felt like the Lord had called me to go to Bible college, but they don't pay you to do that. And he had given me a specific date. He had provided for me. I, I left a job that was a, a lot good, good money. I made a lot of money at that job. Could never enjoy nothing. But I had a job, and I was supplying all those needs. But I very clearly felt God call me uh, to go to Bible college. So uh, the Lord opened a door for another job, making a little bit less money, but still should have been okay. But through a variety of events, we went through a financial collapse. Unforeseeable that I couldn't see them, but God knew they were coming. And, and when that collapsed, as everything fell down and all that seemed like the whole world I had spent all them years building my little sandcastle world. It was coming crumbling down all around me. And I remember crying out to God, Lord, what, what did I do? Is I wrong? Am I not listening to you? Am I, am I not doing what, what you've called me to do? And very clearly the Lord told me, no, it's, it's not about you at all. And it was during that time God met our needs much like the children of Israel in the wilderness. If we didn't have food, God supplied our food. And usually God supplied so much food that I couldn't eat it all, and I had to go to my neighbors and give it away because it was all fresh stuff. And so I'd give it to them, and, and they knew what we were going through, but they could see God's provision. So it wasn't about a punishment. It wasn't about any of that stuff. Sometimes we go through hard times so God can show himself mighty to the people around us in the way that he delivers us well as we ended last week we saw the children of israel sing praise right glorifying the lord for his deliverance and miriam as a prophetess uh, moses sister we we see her on her tambourine just praising god and then as so often is the case right we have a great victory we get pretty pumped up about victory don't we what usually is on the heels of that? Well, it may not be a defeat, but it's guarantee it's going to be something to help us grow, right? We don't just grow when we win. We don't just grow when we win. Sometimes, sometimes we got to go through something a little tough for us to grow. Well, let's take a look. Chapter 15, beginning, uh, I think, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. How many times we, we experience a victory, a great victory, deliverance of God. Woo, man, we're all excited. And immediately you can be sure that you're going to go to the wilderness of Shur. I promise Three days they walked without water. Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you? But don't miss the fact. How did they get to the wilderness of Shur? What were they following? That cloud, right? The Shekinah glory of God. That pillar of fire. They were following the Lord, right? And as they followed the Lord, the Lord led them three days in the middle of the desert. No water anywhere. Now, I don't know that I've ever gone... Well, it's not true. I have gone three days without water, but I had a monster, so that doesn't really count. 
or I had a soda, or I had a Mountain Dew, or I had something to drink, right? For those of you who don't know what a monster is, stay away from us, it. okay. <clears throat> However, <laughs> it's an it's a energy drink with a big M on it. It's very cool looking. Wow. Costs too much money, you shouldn't drink them. Anyways, so these guys, the Lord takes them specifically... No water. Three days, no water. You can imagine the people are beginning, are, are beginning to complain. So, they came to Marah. And they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Marah means bitter. They come to Marah. Can you imagine? Okay, two million people, they haven't had water for three days. Now, what do you think happens when they crest the hill and they see water? You think they just all stayed in a neat little line and very calmly went up to Mara and, and tasted? Or you think they just went ape nuts right then? Woo! To take off running as fast as they can, diving into the water, drinking it, only to find out that the water is bad. It's no good. God brought them this fourth place that he brought them was Tamara to bitterness and he's going to teach them how to deal with bitterness now when they came down to that water do you think they got bitter do you think after they tasted it and thinking lord led me three days no water he finally brings me to water and it's no good do you think they were bitter they're dealing with the same kind of things we we deal with sometimes don't they I mean, we come down, the Lord gives us a big victory, but the next thing you know, we find ourselves again facing something that we weren't planning on facing. God, you know, don't you know? I mean, I don't know that I can bear as much as you think I can bear. How many of us have said that before? Dealing with, dealing with an attitude of bitterness. I remember when all of my children were born, except for Joseph, I wasn't really walking with the Lord. I didn't really think much about the Lord. You know, he wasn't all that much in my mind. I was pretty much, the whole time I was married to Kathy in those early, well, I don't know, 10 years or whatever it was, I just didn't care. I was angry at God. But when I was 30, I really sought the Lord. I came back. The prodigal son returns. He goes to Bible college. He receives training. He's got... You know, God's hand and God's call directed me and guided me to a, a variety of ministry opportunities. And Kathy gets pregnant. And I'm so excited because I get to name one of my children out of the Bible. And we poured over the Bible. And actually, Kathy lost a baby prior to Joe that we were going to name Josiah because Josiah is one of my favorite characters out of the Bible. And so we, we prayed about it and we thought about it and Kathy and I both came together and we settled on Joseph. I was so excited. And that day came, Joe was born. I mean, we were, you, we, we fit to be tied, man. God bless us. God's adding to our family and we finally named a child from a godly heritage. We're following the Lord. We're doing what God wants us to do. But at two years old, Joe still hadn't said any words yet. At eight years old, 
he was still in diapers. When we got the, when we got the, uh, uh, the doctors to, to tell us that, that Joseph was autistic about the time he was two and a half, three years old, I remember distinctly going to God and saying to the Lord, God, what are you doing? For the first time in my life, I am fully, completely following you. And you led me to waters that I can't drink. And at the time, I thought I would never hear Joe say, I love you, Dad. I thought I'd never hear that. All, he could scream. Don't get me wrong. He could make noise. <laughs> Communicating was a whole different thing. He would cry and cry and cry, and we would, had no idea what he needed. Or what he wanted or, or how to meet that need for him. And it was a very frustrating time. And one night, I go out in, in the backyard. Occasionally, I would do this. And it's late at night and dark. And I just sit out there and talk to the Lord. And the Lord told me, Jackie, I'm going to teach you things you will never learn any other way. But you got to go through it. You can't go around it. You can't go over it. You got to go through. So we went through. And the Lord began to teach me how many times I'm just like Joe to him. How many times is God saying to me, What's wrong? What's wrong? What do you want? And all I can do is sit in a little ball and rock and scream. And all the while, God's just saying, I just, I just want you to talk to me. Just want you to talk to me. Look at my eyes. Look at my eyes so that I will communicate with him just like I would sit with my son and say, Joe, just look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. And the, I'll, I'll never forget that time I'm, I'm sitting in the living room watching TV and Joe of his own volition comes into the room, sits on my lap and says, Dad, I love you. And then he hops up off my lap and, you know, goes doing his thing. And I'm sitting there going, blown away. Oh, my gosh. I never thought that Joseph would ever do that and God would speak to me. That's how good it feels to me when you talk to me. When you tell me you love me. Do you know that God can take the bitter and turn it sweet? Do you know that God can give you beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness? Do you know that God is able to do all that stuff? And he told the children of Israel that right here. Look at what happens. They come tomorrow. They rush in. The water's bitter. They're frustrated. They're upset. Okay. And the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now, this is what the people always did. They complained to Moses. Where did Moses always go? To the Lord. To the Lord. We got to learn to go to the Lord. Jesus has tore down that middle wall of separation. There's nothing that separates us from, from God. That we can't take our petitions and make them known to Him. Our complaints aren't, shouldn't go to other people. If we got a complaint or an issue, we can go straight to the Lord, can't we? Straight to Him. Straight. To, I can't tell you how many times I had a complaint. I'd be upset at Pastor Gerald. Uh, Pastor Gerald. Well, I don't know what's wrong with him. It's probably that Kansas upbringing that he had. 
I'm not sure, but I'd, I'd say, man, there's something wrong with him, and I'd catch myself complaining. And my wife, she has a way of getting me back on track. And she'd say, have you prayed? No. No. Well, why don't you take it to the Lord? So I'd go to the Lord. Lord, that Pastor Gerald, he's all messed up. <laughs> and the Lord would say, uh, no, Jackie, it's not him. It's you. And I learned to go to the Lord with those issues, and I would pray, God, either change me or change him. Well, way more good stuff came out of going to the Lord than just complaining. The Lord would do that work. Well, here, Moses is going to go to the Lord. So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast the tree into the water, the water was made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Tested. That word tested them means he proved them. He taught them that they could go through bitterness. They could get through it. They could get to the other side. But how did they get through it? They put a tree in the water. Doesn't that seem weird? What do you reckon a tree is all about in the Bible? Well, you can go all over the place in the Bible and see things like, Cursed is him who hangs on the what? Tree. What was the tree all about? Tree is all about the cross. You put the cross of Jesus Christ in the midst of your bitterness and watch it just wash away. It'll wash away. Because you, in the light of the cross, in the light of the, of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, man, that bitterness just washes away. Just washes out. That's how they beat it. They beat the bitterness with the tree. We'll overcome bitterness in our life if we will begin to consider the things around us in light of the cross. In light of the cross, Jesus Christ comes into there and, he, and he's saying to us, hey, I've come to prove you. It's not a test. God doesn't test you so that you fail. He proves you so that you succeed. Do you understand the difference? They don't never put a jet pilot in a plane to test it that they think it's not going to fly. They don't do it. If they don't think it's going to fly, they keep working on it until they know it's going to fly. And when they know it's going to fly and they believe it can do great things, they put a test pilot in it and he proves it. He takes it out and he proves what that plane can do. And that's what God does for us. He proves what we can do. He proves that we can overcome. He proves all those things and he enables us to overcome that bitterness by the cross of Jesus Christ. And now look what the Lord says to them. Listen to this. And he said, if you diligently heed, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. I am Yahweh Rapha, I am the Lord who heals. Man, do you realize the whole 40 years they wandered in the wilderness, they didn't have feet problems? They didn't have 
The only time they ever had problems was what? When, when they found themselves in rebellion against the Lord. Otherwise, the Bible says their shoes didn't even wear out. Forty years wandering in the wilderness and they had everything that they needed. Why? Because God is everything that they need. And if we need a healing, what is it that God says? I am the Lord, your healer. And if God says no, what does that mean? I don't know. Maybe you're in a rock and a hard place. Maybe God's touching people's lives through what you go through. Maybe the Lord is is touching you by the way you're able to stand, by the way you're able to deal with adversity. I know that Paul prayed three times for a thorn in the flesh to be removed, didn't he? Three times he sought the Lord. Lord, why? Because he knows God's everything that he needs. What did God say to him? No. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes that's what the Lord's doing. I know those those of us who were around when Brent was sick and we prayed for Brent and the Lord didn't heal Brent. The Lord took Brent, gave him a better healing. Actually, he took him into his presence. That's okay. The reason God said no is because he's touching people around him. He's touching lives around him by the light of, of God's mercy and the witness that Brent was to those. Folks, we got folks going through those kind of things right now. We got, we got Jim out in Boise, at Nampa actually, at a, at a, at a facility where he's trying to, to go through some rehab. Still has a long way to come. We still need to be lifting him up and praying. But until the day that God delivers him, we have to trust that the reason he's going through that is because God's working in someone's life through it. It's not for no reason. Jim's being proved. Best being proved. We also have uh, today, today uh, Marv and Jerry went down to, to Salt Lake City where tomorrow Marv is going to do a test. And if he passes the test, they're going to do a surgery, which likely is going to give him the ability to, to breathe with the full or a fuller capacity of his lungs. But he's been going through this for a long time. Well, he injured them lungs 10 years ago. Why so long? Why is it when we call on the Lord, he doesn't just touch him? Because you would not believe the witness that they are being. The lives of people they are touching. Because they go through Mara. They go through a bitter trial. But isn't the Lord able to turn bitterness to sweetness? Isn't God able to make it all make sense? And if you can't see it, how does God call us to walk? By sight? By faith. For I walk by faith, not by sight. What's that faith? Faith is in God. I trust you, Lord. You know why. You know the whys and how all the pieces come together. And I'm going to trust you. And so he's telling the children here, hey, guys, you follow me and I'll be everything you need. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord your healer. I'm going to watch over and keep you. Whatever touches my life, I know passes through the hands of a God who loves me. And upon his hands, he bears the marks of that love. 
And above anything else in life, I know I can trust him. Maybe friends will let me down, family let me down, but God doesn't let me down. He doesn't. If I think God's let me down, it's my eyes. It's my eyes. It isn't God. God carries us through. God proves us. Just like he proves the children of Israel here. And then in verse 27, look, and then they came to him, or I'm sorry, then they came to Elam. Stop number five. Elam, which means mighty ones, where there are 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped by the water. The Lord took them to an oasis. Do you know sometimes in life we go through hard times, sometimes we go through bitter times, and sometimes, man, it's just sweet. Just sweet. What do we find out about those 70 palms and those 12 wells? Well, those 70 palms and 12 wells gave of themselves and the children of Israel were refreshed. The whole concept behind Elam is there is refreshment in service. As those, what were those palm trees doing? Were they doing something special? No, they're being palm trees. And it brought refreshment. The 12 wells. What do the 12 wells speak of? Why, what were they being? They were being 12 wells. And it brought refreshment. You realize you don't have to work it, all that stuff up to be refreshment to someone else. You just have to be what God's calling you to be. What the Lord's directing you to be. And refreshment happens. Do we make fruitfulness happen? Do we hold our breath? Just the other day, I went out and looked at my four apple trees. Them apple trees, you'll see them Sunday when you come. Feel free to take an apple with you when you go home. (laughs) There's 80 gazillion of them. I don't know how many gazillion is, but oh, Lord, have mercy. I can't even mow the grass. There's so many apples on the ground. Apples everywhere. And not one time have I gone out there and seen that tree shaken to make apples happen. It's an apple tree, right? Apples happen. That's what happens. Folks, if we are attached to the vine, if we are connected to Jesus Christ, fruitfulness happens. It happens. We just stay connected to him. Refreshment was found in service. We see 70, 70 palm trees. And when I look at that, I consider the 70, I, I look at Jesus. Do you know that Jesus sent 70 out two by two to go out and be witnesses as he was in his three-year ministry? We can see it in the, in the book of Matthew. He sent it out of the 70. We see 12. Oh, there's 12 apostles, 12 disciples. But the point is, All of those things were just being themselves and refreshment came. And that's what happens in the body. When we come to the oasis, you want refreshment? Just be what God made you to be. Stop trying to be something else. Just be what the Lord has made you. Just do what God is calling you to do. You're not going to be happy if you're not doing what God is calling you to do, are you? Ask Jonah. Ask him how much he liked being whale puke. (laughs) 
I'm sure that was not on his top ten of things to do. Where did he find... Did he? Did, Jonah don't never find refreshment. He's cranky his whole time. So we want to learn, right? Let's be what God's calling us to be. Let's go where God is calling us to go. So that fifth stop, we see him at Elam. And they find refreshment as God takes them from bitterness and he places them in the oasis. And they journeyed from Elam and still the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and the Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land from the land of Egypt. It's a month after the Passover. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses, or I'm sorry, a month after the passing of the, uh, through the Red Sea. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord. These guys are a fun bunch to have around. In the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots full of meat, and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This next stop, the wilderness of sin. And what did they find at the wilderness of sin? They're hungry. You ever been that hungry? Just hungry enough fit to lose your ever-loving mind. That happens to me every day. <laughs> I, don't, I don't seem to have the ability to plan the, the whole lunch thing very well. This is how I know it's time for lunch. I start breaking out in a sweat, and I'm ready to eat anything that I see. I... I I used to keep a jar of peanuts on my desk because that would, would save me in those times. So I brought a jar of peanuts with me. I mowed through them peanuts in the first week. Now I got dried pears, and I mowed through them dried pears. And then every once in a while, <clears throat> every once in a while, Kay will drop off eggs. And boy, if I don't get something to eat, I'll pour them eggs down in. You don't got to cook them. You know, I've seen Rocky eat them. Drink them right out the shell. I get so hungry, I can't even hardly think straight about, oh, I got to eat now. If I had a plan and just eat a little bit all through the day, I'd have been okay. But this is where the children of Israel are. I'm so hungry. Folks, why did God bring them to a place where they would be hungry? Why would the Lord allow that hunger to come? Do you realize that it's only when God brings us to a place that we realize I need something that we really begin to look? Otherwise, I have everything I need. But when I'm in that place of hunger, can I hear the words of Jesus when he said, If any of you hunger, come unto me and I will give you bread. For I am what? The bread of life. Everything that you need to sustain your life. But you had to be hungry to realize you needed it. Well, that's what's happening here. They think, think, look at how they think of Egypt. 
where did we read that they were sitting by pots of meat? I don't remember that part. I remember chomping around in the mud making bricks. I remember being slaves. And I don't remember the pots of meat part. You ever know, you, you realize when we look back, we don't always see things all that clear. When I think back that when I used to play football, you wouldn't believe how fast I ran. How high I jumped. You know, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. The whole thing, right? And I'd tell Cole, you know, I, why when I played football, I used to just be able to run through everybody. Nobody could stop me. That's how I remember it. I'm not sure that's how it was. I try to jump now. You can't even get a credit card under my feet. Somewhere all that athletic ability left. I don't know when it happened. Maybe when I turned 40, I don't know. But anyhow, here they are thinking back to how good things were. Well, the Lord in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. Do you know what God always called it? He always called it bread from heaven. He never called it what they called it. He never called it manna. He would say, hey, I'll rain bread from heaven. And the people will go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them. What does that mean? He's going to prove. He's going to prove them that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on that sixth day when they shall prepare what they bring in. It will be twice as much as they gathered on the other days. And Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel at evening, You shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for He hears your complaints against Him, against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against Him, and what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Verse 9, Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaint. And it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, and you will know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that the quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer, each person, according to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. 
So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. Moses said, Let no one leave it, any of it, until the morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. Now there's a shock, isn't it? Notwithstanding, they, they didn't really listen. Well, what's going on? The Lord provided for their hunger. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. Folks, the only place you'll find satiation for the hunger in your soul is with the Lord. And the only thing that will ever satisfy you is the bread from heaven. And Jesus told us who that was in John chapter 6, didn't he? I am the bread from heaven. That's what Jesus said. This is a picture. Where did this bread come from? Heaven. What did it do? It satisfied their every need. Satisfied everything that they needed. It it kept them alive. It gave them their sustenance. And that is the same as true of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say in John chapter 6? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. What was he talking about? Well, think about these people. The picture, right? They could look at the manna, but that didn't help anything, did it? They could sing to the manna. That didn't help. They could gather it up and set it on a shelf. They could decorate it. They could do all kind of things to it. But manna didn't satisfy until what? They ate it. They ingested it. They made it a part of who they were. They ate that manna and it became a part of them. That was what Jesus was saying in John chapter 6. I need to be a part of you. Not just something you know everything about. You could have wrote the greatest recipe book on manna in the history of the world. 101 ways to eat manna, right? We've all heard them, haven't we? Like manicotti, <laughs> manna burgers, banana bread. How many, how, many, <laughs> how many Keith Green fans we got? Because I go through the whole list of that song he sings. All the different ways that we can eat manna. The point is, it had to be eaten. It had to become a part. It had. Why does the Bible talk so uh, make eating it so important? Eating Jesus' flesh so important because that spoke of communion. That spoke of the closest relationship between people. The Hebrew mindset: you were friends if you ate together. You were friends because you were joining, partaking together of the same meal. What is it that Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would answer the door and open the door, what? I will come into him and what? Sup with him. I'm going to eat with him. We're going to be one. When you ate that bread, that bread became a part of you became a part of you that's what jesus is talking about in john chapter 6 i need to be a part of you not just something you look at not just something you think about i got to be a part of you of who you are we simplify it in christianese by praying and asking jesus to what come into our heart right come into our heart the point the touch point of faith in that prayer is i want jesus to be part of me part of me Why did Jesus 
break the bread in the cup and say, here, do this in remembrance of me. Because we're having communion with God. We're making Him part of us. It's a symbol, but it's a concept that the Lord wants us to recognize. Hey, they had manna, bread from heaven, sustaining their life, keeping them in that right place. Man, the Lord is really meeting a need, showing them, here it is, the bread of life. Painting a picture for us when Jesus would come in John chapter 7 and say, your fathers ate bread in the wilderness, but they died. That means it's a shadow. But if you eat of the bread that I will give, you'll never taste death. It's a picture. Jesus is the reality. Bread from heaven. Bread from heaven. The people always called it manna. What's that? What is it? What did the people say about Jesus when he comes and presents himself to the priests? What is this? What is it? It's just manna all over again. It's just manna. It wasn't desired. It wasn't a term of endearment. It was just an attitude of manna again? More manna? More manna? Let's look what the scripture lays out. So they didn't listen. They gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, what happened? It melted. Folks, when do we need to seek our daily bread? Well, the Lord says if you wait too long, it's going to melt. In the morning. In the morning, we want to seek his face. I didn't ever like that because I would just as soon wake up at noon or one o'clock. I'll stay up late. I still kind of like sleeping. But the Lord would tell me, no, that's not going to work. The bread's all gone. The bread's all gone. You got to get up early in the morning and put Jesus in his rightful place. You got to gather that manna first. First thing. Before it melts. Gather up that bread that the Lord has, that daily bread, His Word, the Word of God, right? Man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's our bread. Jesus said He was a bread from heaven, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Revelation chapter 19 says that Jesus is God the Word. Jesus is bread from heaven. What's that make the word? Our daily bread right there. Our daily bread to be ingested, to make a part of us, to bring into our life. This is what God is calling to. So it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord has said, tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. Folks, uh... The law hasn't come yet. Sabbath predates the law. Tithing predates the law. There are a lot of things that were around prior to the giving of the law. One of those was the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath was given to the nation of Israel. 
And it was given for man. Man's not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. Man's always going to try to monkey with it and mess it up, and he did all the way through, so much so that when God, the creator of the Sabbath, came to earth, he broke the Sabbath. Well, he didn't really break it. He just broke their concept of what the Sabbath was all about. He's the one who designed the Sabbath. But here he's laying out, hey, this is a Sabbath rest. So on the sixth day, I'll give you twice as much. Folks, when God called the children of Israel to give the land a Sabbath, so that at the sixth year, he would give them double harvest, so that the seventh year, they would let the land rest. What did they do? For the next 70 rounds of seven or 490 years, they just made bank. Got double this year and they went ahead and planted the next. And then they got double that next sixth year and they planted the next. Disobeying, disobeying, disobeying the word that God, God gave the land its rest. The children of Israel went into bondage to Babylon. Daniel rising up during that time. And the children of Israel, the land got its rest, 70 years of captivity, at which time, after which time, they were cut loose. So, this concept of the Sabbath was something that God gave to the nation of Israel, specifically to them. Let's take a look at it. And so, this is what the Lord has declared. So they laid it up till morning, and Moses commanded, it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Now, those who tried to keep manna over what they were supposed to instead of eating it all that day it all rotted started stinking but when it was following god's direction what happened when they were following god's direction and they kept it over a day didn't stink didn't stink it all worked out that's the the difference when we follow what God has laid out for us, folks, when we follow what God is directing, when we do things God's way, it all works out. doesn't matter whether it makes sense. It really doesn't make any difference. Uh, we were obedient to what God called us to do. We did it. God provided for our needs just like this. And you could go back and open up the ledger and try to figure out how it works. doesn't make any difference. If you obey what God's calling you to do, it works. If you don't obey, even though it makes sense in your mind, you're doing your own thing and you can't figure out. You ever try to hold water in your hand? Just keep running out. You can't hold it. You've got to allow God to direct, God to guide, God to show you the way. And so we see here, when they kept it that extra day, there were no worms and it did not rot. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath. Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather. Now isn't that just like people? The Lord said it is not going to be there, but they just want to make sure. So they went out. God's proven, right? What did He prove? He proved... All those people who stayed and believed what God said. Because, folks, everything begins with that. Will you believe what God said? 
Or do you have to go look and see if it's there? If you have to go look and see if it's there, God has shown in you a heart of unbelief. Which is why the children of Israel will not enter into the promised land. They never enter into their victorious life with God. Because they couldn't believe what God said. And it was proved right then. Those who could, they didn't have to go out. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Those who went out, God was showing them. Now they have an opportunity to recognize, look at myself. Wow, that is a heart of unbelief. God said it wasn't going to be there. I should believe him. I make the choice if I want to grow, move forward, and learn that I have within me a heart of unbelief. Because those same people, guys, when they stand at Kadesh Barnea and they send out the spies, they're going to come back and say, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. Standing underneath the Shekinah glory of God over top of them and the pillar of fire. We can't do it. Why? Because they didn't believe. And it goes back this simple. It's this simple, really. Folks, if we read God's word and we're not willing to to obey the simple things, we're not going to go very far. If we're not willing to look at the things that are very clear, and we can argue over certain things in the Bible till the cows come home, and maybe we'll never come to a a reasonable understanding between us. But some things, folks, are just plain black and white. Do you believe them? Do you believe what God's saying? When the Lord brings us to this place, when He provides for us His bread, can we receive that bread and believe it? Hold on to it and say, this is what God said? And I don't have to go look for a a field without manna in it. I just believe what his word said. Put my faith and trust in him. This is what he's trying to show the people. This is what he's trying to help us grasp and understand. Now it happened, some of them went out and looked. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments? How long will you not believe See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he give you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, and the house of Israel called its name manna. What's it? What's it? God said it was what? Bread from heaven. But to them, what's it? Man, I don't ever want to look at God's provision like it's manna. I don't want to call it something that's not precious. How many ways does God provide for our needs? How many times do we look at the needs that the Lord provides and we call it, what's it? What's the big deal? It's that bread that's on the ground every day that meets our need. They called it, what's it? It was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Uh, Moses said, this is a thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread 
with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot, put an omer of manna in it, and lay it up for the Lord to be kept for the generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. Before the testimony. Folks, that omer of manna today is in the Ark of the Covenant. Along with Ten Commandments written by the finger of God, the omer of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, all in the Ark of the Covenant. And I believe if someone was to find it, unlike Indiana Jones, and open it, inside the Ark would still be a bowl of manna. Didn't rot, wasn't wasted, because it was saved as a memorial so that the children would look at it and say, that's bread from heaven. Tastes like honey. Just like Jesus Christ. To those of us who love Him, ah, it's sweet as honey to our lips, right? But to those of us who may be of the mixed multitude, like those complainers that we read about here, well, to them, it's just like mushy oil. And the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. That helped, right? (laughs) It don't really matter. I think it's about two quarts. But the point is, the Lord took them on a journey How long was it supposed to take? Just one year. That was God's plan. Not 11 days, one year to train them. But folks, the heart that stopped them from entering the promised land was evident at this stop in the wilderness of sin when they were given bread from heaven and they wouldn't obey the word of God. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. So often we have an opportunity, you know, to partake of communion, considering where we're at. What do we remember the psalmist? Remember how the psalmist would say to the Lord, God, search me, try me, look inside me. If there is any wicked way in me, cleanse it. If there's anybody here tonight, if you're dealing with a heart of unbelief that you just can't receive the word and believe we have opportunity tonight as we as we close in worship and just cry out to the Lord God do you remember that father who brought his sick child to Jesus and Jesus said to him if you believe your son will be made well do you remember what the guy said Said first, he said, "Lord, I believe." And we all do that, right? And then he said, "Help my unbelief." Did the Lord meet him where he was? He healed his son. He healed his son, folks. It's all about the heart. It's not about performance. It's about desire. If the desire is there, 
God honors that desire. And He meets us where we are. And He takes us on our journey to Sukkoth, Etham, Pihahira. He brings us around to all of those places. He'll take us to Mara. He'll take us to Elam. He'll take us to the wilderness of sin. He'll take us on that journey, what? To train us, to prove us that you and I, we are more than we think we are. We are tools in the Master's hand and there is nothing God can't do through you. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You for this time we can study. Lord, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. God, every, every jot and tittle, every letter, every space, every, every point of context, it's all there for a purpose. There's a lesson, there's a teaching. For Jesus, You said, You search the Scriptures and You study them, for in them You think You have life. But it is these that speak of me, for in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Father, help us to be so hungry, Lord Jesus, that in the morning, when the manna is out, when that bread from heaven is laid out before us, help us to rise early and receive that bread. And God, that you would help us with, with the spirit of belief, trust, knowing, holding to the truth of your word. God, that you would guide, that you would direct, that you would show us your perfect way. Because Lord, we know, Father, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are on our journey through the wilderness waiting for that time when we too will enter into that victorious Christian life. And it's not when we get to heaven, it's here. It's here on this earth as we walk, we follow that journey that you're taking us, we learn the lessons that you're giving us to learn and we come to your presence, Lord, and we, we feel the power of your Spirit guide us and lead us and we enter in. That's our desire. No heart of unbelief. We trust. Every step of our journey is before us for a purpose. Every piece is a lesson. Lord, help us to learn, help us to grow so that in the end, Father, we would be victorious. As your body here at Calvary Chapel Buell, that we would affect our community, the outlying areas, people who are hurting, people who are lost, people who need you. God, we want to experience that victorious Christian life here, affecting our community, loved ones, friends, and family. But it starts with our journey. So give us strength for the journey ahead, Lord. Help us to grow and learn. And in the end, Father, may we live our lives in such a way that we will hear you say, well done. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of, of worship. As we do worship, I invite if there's...